0: will not necessarily mesh its actions with our moves. Like a cobra, any new enemy will more likely strike whenever it feels that the relativity and military or other potential is in its favor on a worldwide basis.
1: Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The Thirty Four.
0: Mr. Edward R. Murrow, Educational Director of the Columbia Broadcasting System, devoted his program to an attack on the work of the United States Senate Investigating Committee and on me personally as its chairman. Over the past four years, he has made repeated attacks upon me and those fighting communists. Of course, neither Joe McCarthy nor Edward R. Murrow is of any great importance as individuals. We well, are only important in our relation to the great struggle to preserve our American liberties. Now, ordinarily, ordinarily, I would not take time out from the important work at hand to answer Murrow. However, in this case, I feel justified in doing so because Murrow is the symbol, the leader, and the cleverest of the jackal pack, which is always found at the throat of anyone who dares to expose individual communists and traitors. And I am compelled by the facts to say to you that Mr. Edward R. Murrow, as far back as 20 years ago, was engaged in propaganda for communist causes. For example, the Institute of International Education, of which he was the acting director, was chosen to act as a representative by a Soviet agency to do a job which would normally be done by the Russian secret police. Now, Mr. Murrow, by his own admission, was a member of the IWW, that's the Industrial Workers of the World, a terrorist organization cited as subversive by an attorney general of the United States. Now, Mr. Murrow said in this program, and I quote, he said, the actions of the junior senator from Wisconsin have given considerable comfort to the enemy. That is the language of our statute of treason, rather strong language. If I am giving comfort to our enemies, I ought not to be in the Senate. If on the other hand, Mr. Murrow is giving comfort to our enemies, he ought not to be brought into the homes of millions of Americans by the Columbia Broadcasting System. And I want to assure you that I will not be deterred by the attacks of the Murrows, the Lattimores, the Fosters, the Daily Worker, or the Communist Party itself. Now, I make no claim to leadership. In complete humility, I do ask you and every American who loves this country to join with
1: me. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to have a guest that needs no introduction. Lee Camp from Redacted Tonight is here with me, and we're about to discuss what can only be described as Huac Twitter trials. Welcome, Lee.
2: <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, about about time we're at the House of Un-American activities back going, you know, getting that community revved up. We do this this about once every, uh, you know, 20 years.
1: Now, just to get some background information, your original show was exclusive to YouTube, correct?
2: Yeah, different, I mean, a very different form of it called Moment of Clarity. I created a YouTube series, and it it got pretty successful, and so uh, then when RT America wanted to create a comedy show, uh, they, they came to me and said, can you make a show based around what you already do it
1: and just to clarify this once and for all for everybody do you have full editorial control over your show
2: yeah and unlike uh, uh you know all the other comedy shows comedy news shows you'll see on television um and i you know i'm i'm not saying this to insult them but i think it's just a fact uh i write everything i say on redacted tonight uh, most of these shows have teams of writers. And listen, if I ever get to the to the size that I am, and the budget that I'm able to afford, twelve writers to write my stuff, then sure, I might use a little help. But as it stands right now, I I write every word I say. I've never been told to say anything, um, and so it's all every, everything that I'm saying on the show is coming from me. So.
1: So for this reason, I find it fairly bizarre that people are going after you uh, simply because you are a comedy show on Russia Today. So the only real argument here is that your show is being distributed by Russia Today. And um, in particular this week, uh, Michael Ian Black, the actor, was really going after you on Twitter and calling you uh, a Russian agent and all kinds of crazy things. And when you clarified for him that you had full editorial control, he continued to go on for you know three or four more days with with at least a hundred tweets. It was it was wild.
2: I, I mean, it, it's kind of bizarre. I guess I feel bad for the guy. He's clearly fallen for the the neo McCarthyism that's being pushed on MSNBC and CNN, and you know Fox News has their own propaganda problems, but uh, the the. The Russia phobia, you know, let's push towards cold, uh, not just cold war, but we push us towards mm-hmm. nuclear war. Uh, the thing seems to be coming out of those those uh, mouthpieces. And, and it's, it, you know, it's, it started as a way for the Democrats to not actually analyze what the hell is wrong with their party and why they don't speak to anyone anymore and why they, they've been bought out by corporations and why Hillary lost to such a catastrophic candidate as Donald Trump. And they didn't want to actually have any self-reflection on that. And mm-hmm. now we're seeing the purging of the, the, the members of the DNC that actually supported Bernie Sanders. They're all being purged out. And so it's, it's a way to cover that over by just pointing the finger and saying, Russia! But you know, right. sadly sadly some of these some of these uh celebrities like uh, or low level celebrities like uh like Michael Ian Black and uh there's another one who's a producer at the Daily Show, but, but uh I haven't I had never met Michael Ian Black. I you know vaguely knew that he had a lot of Comedy Central shows and things like that, but uh I've had no interaction with him, but randomly he decided that he was going and he claims to be left wing too. He was gonna start attacking me. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's meanwhile he's the resident liberal punching bag on Fox News. So to, so that makes it even more hilarious. And and he put out he put out a book with Meghan McCain, you right. know, a, a, a war criminal's daughter who agrees with everything her father has done. So it's it's a laugh area. I have
1: a question to you, for you though in regards to the way RT is set up. I had worked on a production on a PBS show. And it seems to me that the setup between PBS and RT is quite similar, where some of the funding does come from the government, not all of it, but that they also acquire programming, that they simply have a hand in distributing. So not everything that necessarily is shown on PBS was produced by PBS. Um, would you say it's a similar setup? And if so, why is there criticism of RT, but not of PBS? I mean, is it simply that they're Russian? Is this the height of Russia hysteria?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's similar to that. Uh and, and you know, I, I think that PBS does a lot of good, but unfortunately they do have some very large corporate backers that, yeah. you know, you do people like me, Jesse, Chris Hedges, and Schultz. Why do we end America? Well, at some point we're part of the mainstream media machine, but right. we were saying the things that were unacceptable and therefore you get pushed out. Um, you know, uh, the, the best example is Chris Hedges, who this is a Pulitzer Prize-winning war correspondent for the, uh, right. for the New York Times. And he's forced out. Turo was going to be on MSNBC, was going to have a big show there, be kind of a, a, a flagpole show for them around 2001, 2002. And when they found out he was against the Iraq war, they, too, paid a million dollars to get him out of his contract. Because they, they need pro-war voices. This is You know, right. this is how the machine works. It
1: sort of reminds me of that Chomsky clip where that journalist is sort of pushing him on media bias and Chomsky kind of says to him, well, that's the point, isn't it? They hired you because of the way you think. If you thought a different way, you would have been hired for this job to begin with, right?
3: How, how can you how can you know that I'm self censoring? How can you I know say that you're journalists are-
0: I'm sure you believe everything you're saying. But what I'm saying is if you believe something different, you wouldn't be sitting where you're sitting.
1: And the irony here is that you and Hedges and Ed Schultz and uh, all the others that are on RT now probably do have more editorial control than you would have if you were at MSNBC.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, here's a, here's a perfect example. I, I can't claim to know everything that goes on inside MSNBC, but luckily some people, once they leave, reveal what goes on? The good examples are Jank Uger and Melissa Harris-Perry. Melissa Harris-Perry was forced out and refused to sign the non-disclosure agreement, so she therefore was allowed to speak about what went on. And you know, one example she gives is she after Beyonce did this Super Bowl halftime show that was uh, Black Power inspired. You might remember the the black kind of Black Panther inspired outfits. Uh, Melissa Harris-Perry right. was going to cover that on her show they ran in and said, absolutely not. You cannot talk about that Super Bowl halftime show. Now, the idea that you can't talk about Beyonce on a morning show program is so hysterical to me. I mean, that's a that's a really high level of censorship there. That is a, a micromanagement of every word that's being said. Uh, and Cenk Uygur was uh, he, he talks about the meetings he had where he said, I'm going to keep going after Obama, whether I'm at MSNBC or not. And they said, that's fine. And then once he was there, even though he had a top rated show, I think he was number two or something within two months, they pulled him aside and said, "Look, you're not, you're not an outsider anymore. You're on the inside and you have to start acting like an insider and and go with the the, the corporate state line." And he said no, and then he was out of there.
1: I would say also Dylan Radigan, you know he had that great clip where he went after both parties on wealth extraction and uh, income inequality. And he was right. It was an epic rant. And he was gone soon after that.
4: I'm not here to talk about plans to deal with this till 2017. I, I'm saying we've got a real problem, and I'm tired of Republicans and Democrats who either want— Republicans who want to burn the place to the ground, and Democrats, with all due respect, who want to offer a plan that gets it through the ne- their end of their second term of their presidency, and then screws me and my kids okay, when it's over. Oh, and until we okay. do that, we have to deal with the extraction that is at foot. It is the reason the financial markets are behaving the way they're behaving that is a mathematical I, fact. I, this is not some opinion. This is a mathematical fact. Tens of trillions of dollars are being extracted from the United States of America. Democrats aren't doing it. Republicans are not doing it. An entire integrated system, financial system, trading system, taxing system that was created by both parties over a period of two decades is at work on our entire country right now. And we're sitting here arguing about whether we should do the $4 trillion plan that kicks the can down the road for the president for 2017 or burn the place to the ground, both of which are reckless, irresponsible, and stupid. And the fact of the matter is, until we actually—and I don't—and I'm sorry to lose my no, temper no, and get—but ga- no, no, I no. tell you what, I've been coming on TV for three years doing this. And the fact of the matter is that there is a refusal on both the Democratic and the Republican side of the aisle to acknowledge the mathematical problem, which is that the United States of America is being extracted. It's being extracted through banking, it's being extracted through trade, and it's being extracted through taxation. And there's not a single politician that has stepped forward. Susan, to deal yeah, with but this. But there's
1: only uh, one right now. It, the the leader of the wait, free world, whether you like it or not, but, the president of the United States is arguably one of the most powerful individuals we have out there. But and Susan, he's what our you're president. saying is
3: exactly the point that Dylan is making. It's no. not about one guy, it's about all no, of them. No, I actually together
4: disagree. I, I think I Dylan's what saying, saying it's about her. one guy.
5: It what is, it is about one, it? one guy. What would you like him to do? I would
4: like him to go to the people of the United States of America and say, people of the United States of America, your Congress is bought. Congress is incapable of making legislation on health care, banking, trade, or taxes, because if they do it, they will lose their political funding, and they won't do it. But I'm the President of the United States, and I won't have a country that is run by a bought Congress, so I'm not going to work with a bought Congress and try to be Mr. Big Guy. I'm working with the bought Congress. I'm going to abandon the bought Congress, like Teddy Roosevelt did, and I'm going to go to the people of the United States, and I'm going to say, you've got a bought Congress. And until we get rid of the bought Congress, which is Jimmy William's constant point which is get the money out of politics and until a president says that's the problem and says he's going to fix it there is no policy that i can possibly see no matter how brilliant your idea may be or your idea or my idea or her idea or your idea at home is that idea will not happen as long as there's the capacity to basically fire a politician who disagrees with me by taking funding away from him is that a fair assessment Money and politics is the root of all political evil it is corruption at its worst and until we step up and kick that out of the park it's going to be the
6: same system all and the way. only
4: the president could do that we're going, to, going to no, keep no no you guys the right Congress right? has to do it too the Congress has to, do it, Congress has to do it too but I'll tell you what how bad does it have to get? How much money has to be but extracted? Asking, how many asking things asking have to be hurt? In the
3: brass tax. Okay,
4: physically, what do you do? But you go and give a speech. Right now. To, yeah, right now. Right now. You say, you say, you and are, then what happens tomorrow? Tomorrow, what happens is you begin the process of actually investing in solving the problem. So wow. I come out and I say, how I create an infrastructure bank with two percent blending immediately. There's that. once I explain to people the problem. Once I explain to you, you have cancer. The re- once you understand how screwed up your trade tax and banking policy. Are believe me, you will have no issue when I incorporate an infrastructure bank that I fund with repatriated offshore money that I bring in and then use to create two percent direct lending to every business in America. Because when you realize that the banking system is fully corrupt and defrauding us, and I come out and say that, which is what I want my president to do, that then at that exact moment I say, you know what, we got a screwed up situation here, people. Nope.
2: The way he publicly described it is it was headed into the, he had had that big outburst about the two-party system being rigged, and it was headed into the uh, 2012 presidential cycle. And, and again, very highly rated show. This is not a show that's doing poorly. This is one of the top shows. And they basically said to him, look, you've got you to pick a side. Are you going to go out there and shill for McCain? Are you going to shill for Obama? And he said, I don't want to shill for either. And that's why he had to leave.
1: Well, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about the corporate money that has been just flooded into our media system. And with it, the regulatory capture that has sort of uh, just taken over everything. They're literally regulating themselves. You have a revolving door in between heads of media and the FCC. And now recently, they've uh, loosened up the consolidation rules, which I think is going to just lead to more, uh, you know, more corporate media owning more properties and very few independent uh, journalist sources left, I think this is very bad for the American public. What do you think?
5: On Thursday, the US Federal Communications Commission voted to eliminate key roadblocks to increased consolidation among media companies, a move which potentially opens the door for new deals among TV, radio and newspaper owners looking to compete with online media. The Republican-led commission voted 3-2 to to remove the 42-year-old ban on cross-ownership of a newspaper and TV station in a major market. Democratic Commissioner Mignon Clyburn said the decision is really about helping large media companies grow even bigger. He added that Republicans were more intent on granting the industry's holiday wish list early rather than looking out for the public interest
2: yeah i mean it's horrific on so many levels and and what it's the the technical term for it which chomsky talks about a lot is regulatory capture basically the corporations have captured the regulators that are supposed to stop them from buying up uh our entire airwaves or or an entire section of any business you know amazon's another good example of a of a monopoly that's that's running wild and we're not stopping it but it's now down to five corporations own between eighty and ninety percent of all of your airwaves, your television, your radio, everything, and the f c c just keeps letting them run even more wild on things is that you you no longer for local news broadcasts you no longer have to be located in your the area you're covering, so that means that you know Sinclair broadcasting can pretend they're covering. Toledo, Ohio news. Meanwhile, it's just all done out of one sense. I've got a message for
4: certain students. Listen up closely, Snowflake. Yes, I'm talking to you. You, the social justice warrior who whines for trigger warnings and safe spaces, not grown up enough to deal with the facts, then hunkered down in your room and Snapchat the day away with other social justice warriors. College isn't a babysitting service. It's time to grow up, Snowflake.
3: No. That man is Mark Hyman, with one in what I presume is a series featuring titles like Wake Up, Libtard," <laughs> Cut Much, You Little Beta Baby, and Knock Knock, Sheeple, It's Me, Truth. <laughs> with Mark Hyman. Hyman is a commentator and former executive at Sinclair Broadcast Group. And Sinclair may be the most influential media company that you've never heard of. Not only are they the largest owner of local TV stations in the country, they could soon get even bigger.
4: Sinclair will pay about $4 billion for Tribune Media and its 42 local stations. The combined companies will create
3: the largest single group of television stations in the nation. Wow. It is a little disconcerting to learn that something you've only just heard of is throwing around $4 billion. It's like finding out that ExxonMobil just got bought and it was by the little twerp who plays the new Spider-Man. What? How's that possible? How does Spider-Twerp have the resources to do that? I only just found out he existed. Now, this acquisition still needs regulatory approval, but it is widely assumed that that will happen, at which point Sinclair's reach could expand dramatically. We did some math and we found out that when you combine the most-watched nightly newscasts on Sinclair and Tribune stations in some of their largest markets, you get an average total viewership of 2.2 million households, and that is a lot. It's more than any current primetime show
2: on Fox News. That's the whole point of local news. The whole point was that these places were going to do a service. They were going to give people the news in their area. And by doing that service, therefore, corporations could also do the other things they want to do and make money. Uh, that was the whole like, uh, agreement that we set up these airwaves for. And now we're getting rid of it. And then on top of that, you have the FCCs getting ready to gut net neutrality, which everybody should be outraged about. Uh, you know, there's a million ways to get active, but it looks very likely in the next uh, few weeks that they've set to vote. Uh, Ajit Pai, the, the, the head of the FCC, is a former Verizon attorney, gut net neutrality, gut anything that regulates the
1: Yeah, Ajit Pai is the poster child for regulatory capture. I think he even jokes about shilling for Verizon, who is uh, his ex-employer. It's pretty gross. Um, And I'm glad you brought up Noam Chomsky on this, because uh, I think the relationship between regulatory capture in the media and income inequality is pretty clear. It's that cycle of wealth and power constantly uh, just enhancing itself over and over again. Uh, So... I wanted to talk about net neutrality, net neutrality a little bit more since you brought it up. Uh, it, this is very dangerous. It's something that we should all be concerned about. And I'm really deeply concerned by the fact that I'm seeing some nonprofits on the wrong side of this. Uh, for example, the NAACP has not come out in support of uh, net neutrality. Why do you think this is?
2: Uh, you know, I, I don't remember all the details, but I do remember we covered that in a segment. One of my correspondents covered it and apparently they were given donations by these corporations to agree to sign on to the gutting of net neutrality. So there's a couple of these. The NAACP put out some statements about how net neutrality is not good for black communities or something. It's just so ridiculous, and it's you're ridiculous. like, God, this is, this, this is the best example I've seen of, of an organization getting bought out with and, and not serving the people they're supposed to be serving, at least under that topic.
1: I think it's also a prime example of how quid pro quo exists outside of the corporate world. People tend to think that only happens in corporations, but it also happens with nonprofits.
2: Yeah, nonprofits have been a lot of the bigger ones have been captured by corporate dollars as well. Um, and and you know, you look at, at some of these organizations. Uh, I think Sierra Club is one of them, and I don't have all the numbers, but they kind of they they both. Vaguely want to stop, you know. Let's say ecological disaster, but at the same time, they know that that's where their money comes from. So they're not really in the business of stopping it. They're kind of in the they're in the big business of just continuing it while collecting money to stop it.
1: Yeah. Randomly, I have a girlfriend that was on the executive committee at Sierra Club, and she resigned recently for this reason. So um, yeah, she would agree with you. Uh, anyway, I wanted to pivot back to, uh, corporate money and media for a second, but I want to talk about the YouTube situation. So this isn't, this isn't a large cable news. It's a platform, right? But it's been bought by Google. So now there's clearly corporate money coming in there. And in March, back in March, they terminated a lot of accounts and uh, they demonetized a lot of accounts so i'm not sure if you were caught up in that but uh, it affected a lot of people and i'm wondering if there is any sort of relationship between the fact that they are rolling out network tv plat or network tv stations on the platform and whether or not they're trying to accommodate their new corporate friends because um, timing's a little bit interesting here what do you think
2: yeah youtube uh totally castrated us uh along with i mean it's a greater crackdown of anti-establishment voices uh it started basically around the election uh and after the election and it's not just youtube it's google's new algorithm it's facebook uh partnering with these mainstream media to declare what's uh, fake news and stuff and it's it's pretty it's decimated you know uh, a lot of anti establishment, uh, uh, channels. It's, you know, my, my Facebook. I used to, I have, I have a very large, uh, Facebook following and I used to gain on average like 6,000 followers a week and now that's down to 500 because they've just sucked away, uh, any chance of any of my posts going viral like they used to regularly. Uh, so it's a, it's an ongoing, uh, uh, effort to, to stop, uh, to To stop uh what uh, uh anti 1000 voices from getting the messages out
1: yeah, I actually was one of the folks that had their YouTube channels uh terminated in March, and I decided that I didn't want to uh proceed with reinstatement did they I give did you that. a reason? I just got uh, I just got that blanket email that they sent out that it basically said that you were posting deceptive content and spamming. I, mean, I don't I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. It wasn't really clear to me. Yeah,
2: and and you know they uh, part of the system is they there are ways to fight it, but they're so uh, you know labyrinthine, <laughs> labyrinthine and, right. and, and and very difficult. So like for example, we can fight most of our videos are demonetized now, but we can fight that. And then we get into like a back and forth and then eventually some uh, guy in India, YouTube's offices or whatever, their call center will call you and you know, he speaks broken English and he'll argue yeah. with you about whether, whether your content is acceptable for advertisers or something. And then even right. if you win, even if you win, I mean, this is part of their, their calculation. Even if you win and the guy goes, okay, you've now been remonetized. It's a week later and no one's watching that video anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, when you bring up Facebook and, you know, they're getting ready to monetize videos, they've been looking at rolling that out for a couple months now, but I don't necessarily see them as a solution as I think they're going to have a lot of the same problems that you already see inherent with Google YouTube. And then, of course, there's Twitch. They're talking about moving out of outside of just gaming and maybe they'll get into news broadcast as well and Periscope, but there's no uh, monetization there. So it seems to me that there really isn't a independent platform that's suitable for folks doing the kind of things that you and I are doing. It just, it simply doesn't exist. And that's concerning. And one of the things that Michael in black criticized you for was for being on the RT platform. And he was claiming that you should be on another platform. But the, the irony here is that there really isn't another platform the the, um, the possibilities are quite limited in this area.
2: Well, in ter- yeah. In terms of the money coming in, that definitely makes it more difficult. In terms of just viewership, uh, you know, we are uh, uh, experimenting with other platforms. We're on we're on Minds dot com. Uh, there's a new one called Library, which is going to be uh, decentralized media. So it's like YouTube, but nobody can censor it because it's not technically uh, held in one center. There's no center that has the videos. It's it's hmm. all decentralized. So. And I think that's the future of where things need to go. They need to go to these decentralized platforms that can't be controlled by uh, Mm -hmm. one, you know, one uh, uh, corporate elite uh, board or whatever. Um, But but the problem is even in terms of even if we're not talking about uh, money and we're just talking about viewership, uh, it's simply that, Mm. that Facebook. Facebook owns like 80% of the views of like, you know, if Facebook, between Facebook and YouTube, it's like 80 to 90% right. of videos viewed online are, are at those two places. So you right. can create these other platforms, which might be great, but it just takes forever for them to build up. So I, I'm all for that, but I think we have to continue to fight on Facebook because that's where billions of people are getting their news. Correct.
1: You are absolutely correctly. That's where the viewership is, and I'd say another problem is with if you're using the Google, Google search engine. Uh, Google automatically aggregates aggregates YouTube videos. So if you type something in to look for a video, it's gonna bring back YouTube videos versus something that's maybe on Daily Motion or somewhere else. That's the way they uh, game the system a second way. So you're damned if you're if you do, you're damned if you don't. Also, can you mention for our listeners what those other websites are and what your username is on those websites? So if they want to find you on them, they can? Uh,
2: Yeah, one of them we've been uh, toying around with is Minds, M-I-N-D-S, and they build themselves as kind of the uh, anti-Facebook in that uh, it's open source. Anyone can see the code, and they uh, claim to censor very little or, or almost nothing, and so it's a different... The idea is whatever Facebook does, we're going to do the opposite. And, you know, so hopefully that mm. keeps building up. Uh, the other one is LBRY, Libraries. And uh, they're pretty small right now, but they're uh, completely decentralized. So hopefully they'll uh, keep growing as well. And, um, you know, there there are others out there, that, but those are two that we've been uh, experimenting with.
1: Do you have a Patreon?
2: Uh, no, I don't have a Patreon. Um, People can uh, donate to help the podcast at uh, LeeCamp.com. dot com.
1: Okay, just want to make sure everyone
2: knew. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and we're at youtube dot com slash redacted tonight, and facebook dot com slash leecamp comedian, and youtube at leecamp sorry, uh, uh, twitter at leecamp. One um, one other thing to to go way yeah. back to earlier where we were talking about the uh, the 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 whole anti Russia McCarthyism stuff is. They want yeah. to make it, this sound like uh, it's about election interfering, and of course we can get into how there hasn't really been any proof of election interfering that's been given so far, and it's you know it's 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 all the uh, the they, uh, VIPs, the veterans, uh, intelligence analysts came forward and said that it wasn't a mm-hmm. uh, hack, it was a leak, and we can get into all right. that stuff. But actually, I just wanted to make the point that if they were, if any of these networks, if any of these mainstream media were serious about election tampering, then mm-hmm. they would cover the actual provable election tampering that we know of, which is, first of all, uh, Interstate cross check, which is a mm-hmm. program created by Chris Kobach that 30 states used that knock off names of uh, people off the rolls, mainly people of color, mainly minorities, knocked off the rolls. Uh, for example, uh, Hillary Clinton lost by 10,000 votes in Michigan and 500,000 people were knocked off the rolls. Because of interstate cross-check. Now that doesn't mean it would have switched it, but it likely would have made her the winner in that state. Now I'm no Hillary Clinton fan, but if you want to talk about a rigged election, there's your actual provable data that that shows this thing was uh, fraudulent. And and then of course there's you know the exit poll stuff that I covered a lot. The primary rigging, right? Uh, you know the New York Board of Elections just admitted in court a few weeks ago that they perched. 117,000 likely Bernie voters in Brooklyn alone. That was in court, they admitted that. So it's like there is tons of election tampering and rigging, and especially in the primaries, that is not being talked about, yet they wanted, our mainstream media wants to just point the finger at Russia.
1: I 100% agree. It's because it's not convenient to their argument. Right. It's just really bad antecedent bias because these same folks aren't ready to acknowledge that the use of superdelegates, et cetera, is also a form of voter suppression. Why? Because it's not convenient to their positions. Um, anyway, I want to get back to talk about neo, neo-McCarthyism neo for a second um, because I think it's related in, in a sense. So... Do you think a lot of the sort of over-the-top Russia Gate, Russia hysteria, Neo-McCarthyist stuff we're seeing now is simply the uh, outpouring of the fact that we lost this election and they're not really willing to do the introspection necessary to see the reasons why? Or do you think there's some sort of shift going on? Because generally speaking, McCarthyist positions have been coming from the right, and right now it's coming from the left. And um, I find this to be sort of a strange cognitive dissonance.
2: Um, Well, yeah, the deeper shift, and I mentioned it, but it wasn't really the center of my piece this last Friday, but uh, I did mention it. The the deeper shift is that the Democrats have no answers for people that are struggling in this country. The Republicans also don't, but the Republicans aren't known as the party of the people. Uh, They're known as the party of business. And the Democrats try and claim this mantle of we're the party of the people, we're the party of the workers and all these things. But they are completely corporatized. They have no answers (laughs) for people in Puerto Rico, for people struggling in West Virginia, for Flint, Michigan. There are no answers. It's a completely soulless, morally bankrupt party. And so the, the, the deeper shift is that you can't keep that going. Like, without right. censoring it, without getting people afraid and scared and pointing the finger outside of America and saying, Oh, the great other is the one that's, that's really causing our problems. And, you know, George Orwell this is, wrote about this. This is not a new game. It's you got to, you got to uh, have xenophobia, fear of the other. And the Republicans point the finger at immigrants and say, they're the ones that are causing your hardship and Russia's causing your hardship. But the truth is it's, it's the extraction of the wealth to a very yes. tiny number of extraordinarily wealthy egregiously, disgustingly, psychopathically wealthy people. And yep. it is crushing the the country and, and the world really. And it is how late stage capitalism works. It spirals towards monopolies and, and the corporate uh, entities take hold of the state and they run things and it, uh, uh, the political philosopher Sheldon Wol- Sheldon Wolin-, mm-hmm. Wolin called it uh, uh, inverted totalitarianism. It's it's upside down totalitarianism where it's ruled by the anonymous corporate
7: state. In his book Democracy Incorporated, Sheldon Wolin, who taught political philosophy at Berkeley and later at Princeton, uses the phrase inverted totalitarianism to describe our political system. Inverted totalitarianism, unlike classical totalitarianism, does not revolve around a demagogue or charismatic leader. It finds expression in the anonymity of the corporate state. It purports to cherish democracy, patriotism, and the Constitution, while manipulating internal levers to subvert and thwart democratic process. Political candidates are elected in popular votes by citizens but are beholden to armies of corporate lobbyists in Washington, or state capitals, who author the legislation and get the legislators to pass it. A corporate media controls nearly everything we read, watch, or hear. It imposes a bland uniformity of opinion. It diverts us with trivia and celebrity gossip in classical totalitarian regimes, such as Nazi fascism or Soviet communism economics was subordinate to politics under inverted totalitarianism the reverse is true woolen writes economics dominates politics and with that domination comes different forms of ruthlessness
1: yeah i completely agree with you lee it's you know one percent controls 38 percent of the wealth now it's immoral it's untenable it's unsustainable it's absolutely crazy uh, but that brings me to my next question. I wanted to ask you. Uh, yesterday, Sam Ronan have, came out that he's now going to be running as a Republican. This is the gentleman that was running as the for a DNC the DNC chair position a few months back, and also a gal from New Jersey. I can't think of her name. But uh, what do you think that's about? Do you think this is just a bizarre plot twist, or do you think this speaks to a bigger shift in the country as far as? Uh, what parties are representing, uh, because both of them are keeping their same platforms, which include Medicare for All.
2: Well, I, I didn't know. I was unaware that Sam said he was going to do that. I had him on uh, Redacted Tonight VIP a while back when he was running for DNC chair. Um, right. But I didn't see that he was going to do that. But what I will say about that that idea that you see odd candidates running on odd party platforms and you know bernie sanders is technically an independent and yet he runs mm-hmm. as a democrat and uh ram paul is a libertarian but runs as a republican that it's because the the parties have no heart and soul anymore they don't actually mean anything anymore so you have people uh trying to crow, crow you know crowbar themselves onto these party platforms but i you know i probably have more more topics I agree with Rand Paul on than right. I agree with Hillary Clinton on, um, yeah. and even though I find Rand Paul disgusting on other things, and I and and so it doesn't. It's like and and Rand Paul and Bernie Sanders probably are more in common than uh, right. you know, Rand Paul and and some of the Republicans on that stage. So. It's because these parties don't actually stand for anything, but you have to, because they have such a stranglehold on the two-party system and on the debate stage, which the debate stage is incredibly powerful, if you can't get on that stage, then the odds of you winning are, are minuscule um, because they have such power. People all shove themselves onto those platforms mm-hmm. and it doesn't actually make any sense. I mean, what, the, the idea of even Donald Trump running as a Republican doesn't make any sense. What like what, what Republican <laughs> values does he like actually stand for? Like it, none of it, none of it fits, right? Like, you ha- they have to, they, they, without any answers, it's, it, it's how you end up glazing over what's become such a shit storm.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree, which is also why I sort of understand the appeal that some voters have for voting for a third-party candidate. You know, a lot of folks felt that if they voted for, like, a Jill Stein, that maybe she'd be able to get that get over that percentage threshold and that uh, they would get the funding, they'd get on the debate stage, you know, all of these various things, which would be healthier for our democracy because we would hear from more voices. But at the same time, the flip side of that is, what do you do about the Electoral College? It's really difficult for a third-party candidate to be viable as a presidential candidate because of the Electoral College and how that's set up.
2: Right. I mean, our system, a lot of people don't realize, they point to the Constitution and they say, oh, we've fallen so far far, uh, afield from the Constitution. But the Constitution was initially still created to make sure that the white male landowners had Mm -hmm. uh, control. And it's why the... It's why the electorates are there. It's why the delegate – well, superdelegates were added later, but it's the delegate system. And, and uh, you know, when, when the Constitution was written, 6% of people in America were allowed to vote. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's it
1: white male property
2: owners yeah white male property owners and and so it, it, we're still kind of in that system i mean we don't have a uh, democracy by any means and we've fallen away from a democratic republic even we have a oligarchy now as An extensive Princeton study showed uh when when big business wants something to happen in this country it generally gets done and when the people want something to happen it doesn't get done unless it happens to uh, uh dovetail with what the corporations
6: want. Report by researchers from Princeton and Northwestern Universities suggests that U.S. political system serves special interest organizations, instead of voters. The U.S. government does not represent the interests of the majority of the country's citizens but is instead ruled by those of the rich and powerful. A new study from Princeton and Northwestern Universities has concluded. The report. Entitled Testing Theories of American Politics, Elites, Interest Groups, and Average Citizens, used extensive policy data collected from between the years of 1981 and 2002 to empirically determine the state of the U.S. political system. After sifting through nearly 1,800 U.S. policies enacted in that period and comparing them to the expressed preferences of average Americans, 50th percentile of income, affluent Americans, 90th percentile, and large special interests groups, researchers concluded that the United States is dominated by its economic elite. The peer-reviewed study, which will be taught at these universities in September, says, the central point that emerges from our research is that economic elites and organized groups representing business interests have substantial independent impacts on U.S. government policy while mass-based interest groups and average citizens have little or no independent influence. Researchers concluded that U.S. government policies rarely align with the preferences of the majority of Americans, but do favor special interests and lobbying organizations, when a majority of citizens disagrees with economic elites and or with organized interests, they generally lose. Moreover, Because of the strong status quo bias built into the U.S. political system, even when fairly large majorities of Americans favor policy change, they generally do not get it. The positions of powerful interest groups are not substantially correlated with the preferences of average citizens, but the politics of average Americans and affluent Americans sometimes do overlap. This is merely a coincidence. The report says, with the interests of the average American being served almost exclusively when it also serves those of the richest 10%. The theory of biased pluralism that the Princeton and Northwestern researchers believe the U.S. system fits holds that policy outcomes tend to tilt towards the wishes of corporations and business and professional associations. The study comes in the wake of McCutcheon v. Federal Election Commission a controversial Supreme Court decision which allows wealthy donors to contribute to an unlimited number of political campaigns.
2: Um, you know, keeping, like, like for example, the, the getting Obamacare passed, the reason, the only reason that got passed, which initially was a Republican idea back in the 90s, was because the insurance companies allowed it to and realized that things were collapsing and they needed to do something so they, they, right. they were willing to get behind Obamacare. Like So even the things that seem like, wow, what a win for the people, it's because the corporations uh, uh, jumped on board for various reasons.
1: Oh, absolutely. The ACA is the same as Romney Care, which was from the Heritage Foundation. It's a Republican plan. And the health insurers spent, what, $7 million a month trying to lobby for their benefits when that was going through the Congress? And they profited from it. Let's be honest. The mandate has added a lot to their bottom lines. Um, You know, it's the problem with our health industry is the profiteering. And it's the profiteering from the health insurers, from the pharma companies, from the private hospitals. You can go down the line. Everybody's looking to make money off of the misery and health of others. It's really jacked up. Um, But nobody seems to want to deal with that because, you know, hey, yay, capitalism, right?
2: Great. Yeah. Um, Uh, no no anything- we 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 cannot talk about the economic system that we have uh we we need to pretend as if it's this holy grail and it can never be mentioned right. and and I mean you, you you if you look on your mainstream media you're like wow there's a lot of really uh angry debate and we've become so polarized but in fact all of that debate is happening within inside a very small worldview. you don't have anyone mm-hmm. on those channels saying hey, is there a better, something better than capitalism? Is there a way to have right. partial capitalism with other things? No one is allowed to say that capitalism, by definition, is infinite growth on a planet with finite finite resources. Right. So no, you're right. It, it, it physically is impossible to go forever.
1: Well, you know, I mean, look at the way they bastardize Adam Smith, Right. uh, you know they always bring up the invisible hand which is just one line in the second chapter and anybody that knows Adam Smith or has read beyond the second chapter knows that Adam Smith talks about labor owning part of the production because he measures wealth in terms of labor not in terms of gold right so um, he has a very severe critique for the division of labor in fact so uh, you know I just don't understand why we can't look at examples of uh, other countries like in Scandinavia like Sweden per se here you have a, a uh, a free, a quote unquote, free market system. But it's not conflated into the government in the sense that everything has to be for profit. They have a very robust economy, but they also have universal health care. They have free public education all the way through the PhD level. Uh, and they have a myriad um, other programs that are designed to help Uh, the population and the workers for example also you have two board members on every corporate board that is reserved for either a union member or a worker so uh what is so terribly wrong about about us examining those systems and maybe learning and growing from them because clearly they're doing something correct
2: yeah i mean we uh, we do not we have a habit of not looking at like the countries or the areas of the world that are doing something well and saying hey that that looks like it's working pretty well. I mean, for example, look at Portugal where they've legalized uh, drugs or at least legalized right. all, all drugs. And meanwhile, their rate of overdose is three per million. Oh, uh, the, that's it. It's, it's, t- yeah, it's tiny. It's like nothing. Yeah. Whereas uh, West Virginia, the rate of overdose is 41 per hundred thousand, which means 410 per million. Like it's, they're doing so well by decriminalizing and treating, treating drugs like a health problem rather than a crime problem. Mm-hmm. And we are unwilling to look at that and say, hey, that might be the way to behave.
8: By the 90s, an estimated 1% of the population was using heroin.
3: It was almost impossible to find a single family in Portugal that had no problems uh, connected to uh, to drugs.
8: Dr. João Gulao formed part of a team of healthcare professionals to rethink how Portugal dealt with drugs. Feeling like they had nothing to lose, their solution was radical. On July 1st, 2001, Portugal became the first country in the world to decriminalize all drugs. What that means is while they remain illegal, possessing small amounts of anything from cannabis to cocaine or even heroin doesn't result in arrest. Users aren't considered as criminals but rather treated as patients in a health-first approach. Instead of facing a judge, they meet a dissuasion panel made up of lawyers, social workers and medics. Before decriminalisation, around 90% of funds spent on fighting drugs went on enforcement and just 10% on healthcare. After 2001, that was reversed. Critics claim the change in law might encourage users and even attract drug tourists and there is some evidence that suggests small increases in reported drug use. But advocates of decriminalisation say that drug users are more likely to find help if they know they won't be locked up. The number of Portuguese in rehab programmes rose from just over 6,000 in 1999 to nearly 26,000 in 2008, while those using heroin has fallen from about 100,000 to around 50,000 today. And drug-related deaths have fallen dramatically. In 2015, Portugal had just six deaths per million people, the lowest in Western Europe, and a tiny fraction of that in the US.
1: I completely support decriminalizing drugs as a public health problem. And I really kind of have to laugh at that argument that they make, that if you legalize drugs, it's going to increase usage. But <laughs> this just seems ridiculous to me. If they legalized heroin tomorrow, I would not start shooting up heroin. And I doubt that anybody that uses heroin now is basing their decision to do it on whether it's legal or not. That's just—that's missing the entire point of what drug addiction is about. Yeah,
2: Portugal. Portugal drug use, illicit drug use goes down every year.
1: Well, there you go. It's because it's sort of lost its shiny, rebellious exterior exactly. it legalized it.
2: Exactly. I mean, See, that's even with pot, I feel like, you know, it, it used to be cool. You go, you buy something behind a van somewhere with some guy, you talk about his net, t- neck tattoos. And now it's just boring. You just stand out in front of Denny's right. and do it with your mom. Right? <laughs>
1: uh, anyway, I know you're on your way to Berlin right now. So I wanted to ask you is there any other thing? thing that we missed on the Russiagate um, story or anything you wanted to add in regards to that?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I think we, I think we've covered a lot of it. I, I'd like for people just to give my show a chance, you know, if, if they haven't heard of it, it's called Redacted Tonight. And, you know, like be an adult, think for yourself, go right? and watch the show. <laughs> and if the show, if you're watching the show and you're like, Oh my God, he's lying so much and you've done your research and you still come to that conclusion, then stop watching it. But to just write something off because you're like, oh, someone said it's scary, so no. Right. Just, like, go be an adult and make your own decision and give the give the show a, a goddamn chance before you listen to some, uh, you know, b- bullshit censorship that's being put forward by our new McCarthy masters.
1: Indeed, um I think your show's greatly. In fact, I love the way you combined a deep understanding of politics with a deep understanding of philosophy with comedy. So it's funny, but it's also really poignant. In fact, that's what attracted me initially to your show. I, you probably don't know this, but I have a master's degree in philosophy, and I really like the way you combine philosophy with uh, humor. It's great.
2: Well, yeah. Th- thank you so much. And, and yeah, I, I, I wish I wish philosophy was still like uh, you know something that everybody had to to read and learn in our in our country because there's so many issues when you you think about them in the bigger sense and it just becomes like laughable I mean you you realize how much how much of our world is just these mental constructs that we made up on our own even I I did a bit actually to go back to the Russia thing for a second uh, I did a bit on this last episode about how nation states for most of these corporations don't really matter. They're willing to use any nation state that gives them, you know, no taxes or low taxes or whatever. Correct. So, you know, most of the businesses we consider a big American businesses like Apple are, are based in, in, you know, now it's based in the Isle of Jersey off of England <laughs> because they don't, Because that's where because they're not taxed there. So 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 the whole nation state concept is something that we created in our minds, and now we act as if it's like you know as if there's actual physical mental borders to these things. I mean, you know, like most national borders. If you go down there, you could see like a a deer crossing the border, (laughs) meaning there are illegal deer in this country there right now. (laughs) They. They come here. They don't speak the language. They don't get they don't a job. Taxes. Yeah, they don't pay taxes. So, you know, if, if if God really believe, if 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 you if you believe in God, I don't. I'm an atheist. But if you believe in God, an and God too. and God believed in these nation states, then why does he let the deer just come in here and just ruin it all?
1: Right. Which reminds me, uh, did you see this Molly McHugh thing? Molly McHugh's that foreign lobbyist that uh, used to be a fellow at American Enterprise Institute. She's really big into Russia stuff. No. Basically, basically, she was trying to make the case that the uh, protesters at Standing Rock were actually Russian psyops because Russia now supports green causes, and, you know, and I think she had also delved into this idea that the protesters for Black Lives Matter were also Russian psyops. And then I did some research on her and I found out that she is the lobbyist for the Georgia government, not the state of Georgia here, but the country Georgia. So there you go.
5: Wow.
2: Yeah, I mean... It, it, you guys should do a it, show it, on it, her. Po- point, pointing the finger at Russian trolls has just become the thing to do. Actually, Michael Ian Black was also claiming that like Russian bots were coming after him. Even, it's even gotten to the point that George Takai blamed his sexual harassment allegations on Russian bots. He did and not, did like, really? What? Yeah, yeah, he said, <laughs> he, he he showed a chart that showed that a lot of people were talking about him online, which means it's Russian bots talking about the allegations, <sighs> and it's like, no, dude, people are just talking about the allegations just because it's right. in the news, not because not it's a Russian bot.
1: Exactly, folks to uh, do a show on her. She's just like a parody of a parody. Um, before she started being uh, registered an, at uh, under FARA for the country of Georgia, she was a fellow at American Enterprise uh, Institute. So she was also one of the architects of the Iraq war. Um, and she's also done lobbying for Genzyme and a host of other things. So she's, uh, she's a real piece of work. And because of her anti-stances on Russia, the neoliberals absolutely love her and have been supporting and retweeting her like crazy. So she's a great example of how the neocons and neolibs are more or less um, the exact same group when it comes to foreign policy.
2: They're absolutely one and the same now. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Well, (laughs) thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. And uh, if people want to check out the show, it's probably the easiest thing is uh, YouTube.com slash Redacted Tonight. Uh, I also have live uh, shows coming up in um, Berlin, Richmond, Salt Lake City, Portland, Oregon. People can get that at LeeCamp.com.
1: All right, my friend. Good luck in Berlin, and we'll see you on the other side.
2: Thank you. Sounds good.